So good morning, everyone. <laughs> so glad that all of you are here. Whereas we get ready to dive into to Haggai chapter two this morning. All of us are are old enough and have had enough conversations with people that we have probably had one of those moments where we're talking with someone where where kind of started and and either ended or started or in the middle of the conversation, the person would say, "Well, back in my day, anybody anybody had one of those conversations?" Where back in my day, and it's always like something to make you feel like less. Well, back in my day, we didn't have a map on our phone. Or I don't know why I sound like an old grandpa. But like, back in my day, we had to walk uphill both ways to school. And before I moved to Ireland, I didn't think that was possible. And now I know it is possible. Uh, but like back in my day, and we kind of have these conversations with people, right? We've, we've all had those. And, and so this week, I was just kind of reading. I was doing a little study. And I stumbled upon a forum about back in my day. And it was you were kind of you were to write about, like, kind of date yourself by what you, what you were doing back in your day. And, and so the first thing that came across was, was back in my day, if you wanted to hear a song, you had to call the radio station and beg them to play it. Or if you were a bit wealthy, you could go to the, go to the shop and buy a CD for that one song and just wear out the, the back button. And I remember very vividly as a kid, we had this radio, country radio station in my hometown called Dixie 105.7. And this was the station that was always on in my, my family's cars and in my car. And I even remember the number to this day, 4414566. And I just remember calling that many, many times. It's like, please play this song. Please play this song. Please play this song. And if you were lucky, a couple hours later, they would play your song. So back in my day, that was kind of what you had to do. Somebody wrote back in their day, you had to memorize the num- phone numbers of your friends. Maybe some of you still do. Um, back, in, back in my day, they used to say, you won't have a calculator, teachers used to say, you won't always have a calculator with you, so you need to learn this, uh, learn to do this with, with paper and pen. We sure showed them, didn't we, Steve Jobs? Um, so back in my day, there were nine planets. Rest in peace, Pluto. Um, back in my day, you had to print out directions before you went somewhere, or even worse, you had to read a map uh, before you would get ready to go somewhere. Uh, back in my day. You had to hope that people would show up at the agreed upon place and the agreed upon time and that they wouldn't cancel on you last minute. Back in my day, this is one that, that I thought of back in my day when I first got my cell phone, I had 50 text messages a month and he could send 160 characters in a text message and I thought to myself, I won't even get close to that. Back in my day, we used to wait to call people until after nine. When, when minutes were free, uh, or on the weekends. And so like we've all kind of had these moments, right? And you could add back in your day, and some of us back in our days would be a bit different than, than some of the rest of us. But, but we have these moments, and this is where we find ourselves in Haggai chapter 2. As they are having, the people of Israel, the Jews, are having this moment of, of back in our day. Back in my day, this is the way things were. Like, just look at the, look at the questions. Haggai chapter 2, verse 3. These questions that the Haggai asked, he says, Does anyone remember this house, this temple and its former splendor? How, in comparison, does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. And so the people, the, the temple has, has been laid in ruins. The temple has been destroyed. It's just laying there. And, and, and Haggai goes and he brings up this question and says, Do you, Does anybody remember? Back in the day when this temple actually looked good? Anybody remember back in your day when the temple was magnificent and incredible and Solomon's temple looked so beautiful? Like, does anybody remember that? 
And so if we're going to look through chapters 1 through 9, what, or verses 1 through 9, what we're going to see is there's just these people, the Jews, are just caught in this, this moment of discouragement. They're just full. They're, they're dismayed. They're discouraged. They're down. They're, they're like, life is just not really good for them. Because what would happen is, like, there was this temple, Solomon's temple. We can, you can read about the construction of it in 1 Kings or, or 2 Chronicles, your choice. But the, this, this temple was, was an incredible thing. And, and scholars call the, the, the time, the, the book was written of Haggai, so one, four, 520 B.C., through 70 AD. So that's a time period that scholars call the second temple period. And so that's when this temple was created. This temple was made. That's the second temple period. There was a temple before that, Solomon's temple. And if you were a Jew, that would always be the temple. That would always be what you would view as the place. That was the temple. That was the pride and joy. That was the glory of everything. Like it was the temple to the Jews. And so the Jews, like, maybe they, when they, they have this mind, they, they have this thought of what the temple used to be like, what the temple used to look like, the splendor, the majesty, the incredibleness of the Solomon's temple. Sure, it's been stripped and taken and refurbished from time to time, but, but that was the temple. And then Haggai shows up and says, hey, why is this temple laying in ruin? when you're living in houses of luxury. And so they start to get ready to, to build the temple and there's this excitement that begins to happen. There's these plans, there's these dreams, there's these hopes that they had of what they thought things were going to look like, what they thought things were going to be like. And that is really loud and annoying, right? I, what's that? I, it's, it, I think it's this one, and I'm not going to unplug it. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen if we unplug that thing. Sit back there. I don't know. Is it just like that ear noise now? Does everybody still kind of hear it? I don't know if it's actually it or if it's we hear what's going on. I have no idea. But, all right, so let's get back to Haggai. Haggai, however you, however you feel. All right, yeah, so maybe we can pay attention. Me too. All right, so where were we here? Okay, there's, there's these plans. There's these dreams. There's this hope of what the temple is supposed to be like. And, and there's this view of what Solomon's temple was. And there's this, this hope that this is what this new temple is going to look like. We have, this, we have this game at home. It's like this little drawing tablet where you can like draw pictures on it and then you can erase it. And, and so we, I like to play this game with Ava. It's, it's guess the picture. I don't know if you guys have ever seen me draw. It ain't good, all right? It's not very good. But like, if, you know, I can draw a flower. That, I, I've got that. A tree, pretty good. A sunshine, I can get that. And so I'll go and draw these things and show it to Ava and she'll guess what it is. And then I'll try to get a little crazy. I get a little extravagant and I'll try to do like a frog or some kind of animal. And I'll show it to her and she'll, she'll guess. I'm like, no, that's not it. And then she'll just ask me, dad, what is it? And I'll tell her and she just goes, oh, I think it's my turn to draw. And it's like, I had these plans. I had these dreams of what I thought it was going to be like. But the reality was, it wasn't it. It wasn't like that. That's not the way it was meant to be. And this is the temple. This is this moment that these people are in. They have these dreams. They have this vision 
but it's not really coming out to, to look the way that it's supposed to. And they're just kind of left saying, oh, is that it? Is that all this is going to be? And so it's pretty clear as we look in this moment, we look at this time like discouragement, it reigns supreme in the hearts of the people. Like discouragement is ruling them. They, they're full of just discouragement. Like, look, at verse, look at verse three again. Look at the end of this. Look, listen to this. It must seem like nothing at all. Like, you guys remember that, that beautiful temple of Solomon's? You remember how amazing that was? Like, this must seem like nothing at all. Talk about a throat punch. Talk about kicking somebody when they're down. Like, talk about just heaping on more discouragement. Like, here's that moment. Like, they just, they just feel this. And if we flip back to verse 14, here's what we begin to see. Verse 14 of chapter 1. Let's, this kind of leads us into the story. So it says, They began to work the work on the house of God the Lord of heaven's army on September 21st of the second year of King Darius's reign. Then on the 17th of the same year, the Lord sent another message through the prophet Haggai. Now, did anybody catch the dates? Or are you guys like me when those things kind of happen? Just like, oh yeah, days, cool. Like you just kind of glass over. You just kind of like, okay, you zone out. Don't really pay attention to it. But here's the thing. They're actually really significant for us. If you guys remember in literature, in the way the Bible is written, like details are very, very limited. So if we find details in the scriptures, they're important. The, the era in which the Bible was written, it's not describing what the, what the turf or grass felt like under their feet. It's not describing what the wind felt like blowing on their head hair. It's not describing these things. Like if you have details in the Bible, we have to pay close attention to them. And so for us here, October 17th, September 21st, like this gives us a historic opportunity to go back and, and fact check the Bible. Okay, let me see if these dates match up with the reality of what's happened historically. So in, in that case, like it's given us this historic data so that we can go back and see, hey, is this what's being talked about? Is this actually true? But there's more than just mere facts. There, these, these dates are, are more important than just giving us this idea, hey, you can go back and look in a history book to see if this is true. There's something so much more at play here. It's been nearly a month. 27 days, if you're, if you're taking count, since Haggai's last encouragement to the people and this, this statement. And like, they're just in this moment of discouragement. Anybody been discouraged before? If you have, you know, sitting in a discouragement for a month, that's, that's exhausting, right? You know the, the clock hands move a whole lot slower when you are full of discouragement. The, the calendar flips a whole lot slower when you are just full of distress and discouragement. And that's where these people are. And true to his character, God meets them there. He meets them in the midst of their discouragement. And it's, it's crazy, though, because in verse 14, what we see, if we look back, like Haggai, he speaks to the people. The Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel. The governor of Judah, the enthusiasm of Jeshua was, was sparked. The enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people was sparked. Everyone's really excited. Okay, we're going to build this temple. No longer are we just going to have luxurious homes. We're going to have this incredible temple too. They get really, really excited. They go and they grab their, they grab their shovels. They grab their, they grab their hammers. They grab their, their screwdrivers. Like, that's all I've got with my Ikea tools. I don't know what else you need to build. But they, they go and they grab all these things and they're like, let's go build the temple. And now they're, they're nothing but discouraged. 
They had these hopes, they had these dreams, they had these plans, but now they're just full of discouragement and dismay. This week I was reading an article about the, the biggest flops of all times for, for movies. And so they were talking about movies that lost the most money in the history of movies, I guess. So number two on the list, I don't, I've actually never seen this one, but it's Milo on Mars. They lost, catch this, $150 million lost making that movie. Like that, I'm not an accountant, Sam, help me if I'm wrong. That's not good, right? That's, that's terrible. But the one that caught my eye, number one on the list, was, was The Lone Ranger, the, the remake with Johnny Depp. And it was in that period of time where Johnny Depp really didn't care about making good movies, just about what cool costumes he could wear. Like, that's the only thing, that was his, that was his requirements for a movie. And he got to wear a cool costume, so he does this. But I remember this very, very vividly. I remember all the ads. I remember all the hype. I remember all the excitement. I remember everything that was building up to this. The movie was terrible. It lost $190 million. $190 million. Both of these movies were so bad, they actually bankrupt the, the film franchise. Like, there was no chance of rebooting. There was no chance of a number two. There was no chance of doing it again because they were so bad. And I just remember, especially this Lone Ranger movie, I remember all the hype. I remember all the excitement. And then it just hadn't turned out the way that it was supposed to. And like, that's where these guys are here. There's so much hype. There's so much excitement. There's so much plan, so many plans. And, and now they're, they're, just, they're just discouraged. And I think one of the details, one of the reasons for this is what we read last week in, in chapter, or chapter one, verse four. It says this, why are you living in luxurious homes? Why my house lies in ruins. And I don't think that's metaphorical. I think it's literal. Like, I think it's literally lying in ruins. And, and like, that's, that's kind of the thing that we see here. And you guys, you guys know this. I'm not telling you anything revolutionary. But if you were going to build something that, that was in ruins, you don't just build on top of the ruins, right? What do you have to do? What? Yeah, you got to clear the rubble out. Like, we're not just going to go be like, okay, there's this pile of rocks and this, all these uh, uh, walls that fell down. We're just going to build on top of that. That'll be fine. Like, no, you're going to have to clear out the rubble. You're going to have to reassess the foundation, maybe lay some new foundation. Maybe you're going to have to test the wall and see, is this wall going to stay? Is it going to fall? Kind of like Menlo Castle right now. I don't know if you guys have been seeing what's going on over there. Like, apparently their walls were, like, about to fall down and kill people who are in Menlo Castle. So they've put, like, some, some fences around it to test the walls to see if they're going to hold as they refurbish this, this castle. And this is kind of this moment for, for these people. It's like, okay, we've got to get rid of this. We've got to get rid of the rubble. We've got to move the, 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 the old walls. We've got to lay a foundation. We've got to make sure the foundation that's still here is going to work for this, this temple. And I love what one commentator said. It says this. It says, foundations generally don't inspire a great deal of enthusiasm. And I think that's true. Like if you're building a house, you've got your land and you're, you go and you look at it like, whoa, I'm so excited. They've put concrete in the ground. I don't know how much enthusiasm that's going to bring us. But if we see a wall start going up, we see a roof on top, we, we can walk in and we start to see, oh, this is going to be the kitchen. Oh, look, there's, there's pipes. I don't know what they're for, but this is going to be exciting. And, or, or we can see the closet. Like it's not, it's not like framed in yet, but we see where the closet is going to be. We, we start dreaming about the kitchen and how wide and open it is, like where we're going to have meals. Like that, in, that inspires incitement. Just seeing a, a foundation laying down is... Yeah, sure, it might feel good to see some progress, but it really doesn't generate much excitement. 
But I think one of the things that, that we have to see here is like, is we cannot miss the in then through principle. So let me set this up for us. Before God can do work through us, he first needs to do work in us. Before the temple can be rebuilt, the rubble has to be removed. The, reef, the foundation has to be laid again. Before God can do work through us, he has to do work in us. And here's the thing. Not many of us like the rubble cleaning process of our lives. We don't like the moment where God is like, hey, we're going to clean. We're going to do some things in your life before we do something through you. We've got to get some things right in you first. And that like we don't love the process. We love the results, but we don't love the process quite as much. Like we don't love the process of of developing a, a, a discipline of reading the scriptures. Like, we just want to be able to tell people about the scriptures because God is saying, hey, no, we're going to spend some time in the word first. I'm going, to, I'm going to work in you before we can work in other people. We don't often like cleaning up the mess that's going on in our lives and allowing God to fix our hearts. We just want to get into, we just want to get into the mission. We just want to do what he has called for us to do. But God is saying, hey, wait, before I work through you, there needs to be some work in you. We love doing these exciting things, these dreams that we have. But sometimes God is saying, hey, you're going to, I want you to be patient. I want you to wait just a few minutes. And as we wait patiently on God, maybe what God is doing, he's developing in us our character before he develops our platform. And so this is an in then through principle. The foundation has to be built. The rubble has to be cleaned out before there could be more, more building. And once again, we saw in verse one, these dates that popped up, October 21st. Sorry, October 17th. That's important for a couple of different reasons. It's not just important because it's telling us the time between, between visions or between encouragements that Haggai gives. We've already talked about that, but there's something more that's going on. If we were to look at the Jewish calendar, October 17th falls during the Feast of Tabernacles. And so this was a seven-day celebration where, where the people of Israel once a year would go out and they'd live in a tent. And they would live under the stars and they would, be, they would do this thing to remind them of their 40 years of wandering in the desert. When they, were, when they left Egypt, when they were heading to the promised land. So it would be to remind them of what life was like before God brought them into this land. So it was in the middle of this, of this celebration. So a couple of things that would have happened. No building would have been able to go on during this time because this was a religious celebration. So once again, they've had to press pause on this. But there's something that... I think we begin to see is here, here again. Here is another religious celebration where there is no temple. Here is another chance where we are going to worship God, where his presence isn't resting in the temple. Here's another moment where we're just left to, to wonder and, and, and miss the temple that, that should have been there. But even more than that, if we were to look at 1 Kings chapter, chapter 8, it is during this exact festival, the, the festival of tabernacles that Solomon, four centuries prior to this, dedicated the temple. So it's like, once again, it's almost to the, almost to the day that, that Solomon dedicated that temple, that here they are, not able to build this temple. And this is this moment of, they're just, they're so discouraged, like things aren't going as quickly as they thought. The temple doesn't compare to Solomon's. And here's another religious celebration that we don't have a temple. And it's really telling. That there's a statement in verse three that I wanna make sure that we, we catch. Haggai says this, he says, it must seem like nothing at all. 
Catch that phrase, two words, seems like. I think that's really significant for us. So as we begin to study those Hebrew words, what we find is, is the word seem like. It, it's, it comes from the word like for I and for understanding. And so the, the idea behind seems like is, is this mental con- conclusion that is made as we see something. So what would have happened is, is the Jews would have seen what the temple looked like. They'd have drawn some conclusions, whether right or wrong, and they would come to that being their understanding. They would have come to believe that was what is true. And here's the thing. Just because something seems like it doesn't mean it's true. Because feelings aren't always the best indicators of what's going on in our lives. God, he works, he works in facts. And so it might, it might seem like all you ever do is screw up. It might seem like you're just a disappointment. It might seem like God won't forgive you. It may seem like you are, you are just wasting your life. It may seem like you, you have nothing to offer. It may seem like you have no, no vision, no dreams, no hopes. It may seem like everything you try just ends in disaster. It may seem like God doesn't love you. It may seem like you don't belong. It may seem like you're not good enough. It might seem like that, but it doesn't make it doesn't make it true. Friends, I just want to encourage you, don't buy in, don't anchor your life in the seams like. Anchor your life in the reality of God. Anchor your life in, in Philippians 1.6 that says, he who began a good work in you will bring it out to completion. Anchor your life in Romans 8.28 that says, there is nothing in all, or Romans 8.28 that says, and I know that in all things God works for good those who love him. Anchor your life in Hebrews 13, 6 that says nothing, I will never forsake you, I will never leave you. Anchor your life in 1 John 4, 4 that says the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Anchor your life in John 14, 18 that says I will not leave you as orphans I will be with you. Anchor your life there. God is not in the business of seems like that, that's the devil's work. The devil, is he's a master deceiver. He's the father of lies. And so Haggai is about to bring this message to the people. It may seem like that, but it's not true. Don't buy into the lies. Don't buy into the seem like. Buy into the, the truth. Buy into the reality of what God has for us. And we see this play out in the scriptures. Is one of the chief culprits of discouragement is comparison. This is where they find themselves. They're just comparing these things. Well, it doesn't seem like that temple. It doesn't seem like God is here. It doesn't seem like God is doing the things that we thought he was going to do. It doesn't seem like that. And they're they're just spent their time comparison. I mean, the Jews, they have drawn this wrong mental conclusion. They've drawn this seems-like attitude. And it's centered on comparison. And man, just this week, I had a moment, a moment of discouragement. And one of the culprits was comparison. I was looking at my life. I was looking at some things surrounding our lives, at some of the lives of other people. And I started comparing what they were had and what we have and what they're doing and what we're doing. And just discouragement started to, to go in. It started to, to grow within us. And that's what's happening here. Like there's this great discouragement because there's this comparison of this temple that Solomon built that's supposed to be so good. And here this temple, it just lays in rubbish or lays in ruin and and building foundations really isn't exciting them as much as they thought it was going to. The Haggai tells the people, 
I know things seem like this, but it's not the reality. Because the reality is that God remains. Look at verses 4 and 5. Here's what Haggai says. But now the Lord says, be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Jeshua. Be strong, all you people left in the land. And now get to work, for I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. My spirit remains among you, just as I promised when you came out of Egypt. So do not be afraid. I'll be, be honest. I don't think any of us here in this room right now are super discouraged about the temple taking too long to rebuild. Anybody there? Anybody's like, well, the Solomon's temple is better than this. No, that's, that's not where we are, right? That doesn't really get us down. But can I ask you to think about this for a second? Anyone ever been a little discouraged in their faith? Anyone ever thought like, okay, when I start following Jesus, things are just going to go differently? Maybe you thought, okay, once I give my life to Jesus, I'm going to have all that I want. I'm going I'm to have the, all the resources that I need. I'm going to have all the money I want. My life is just going to be perfect, right? Reality, it's not true. Maybe, maybe you've left, been discouraged. Maybe you've thought, like, okay, once I fully commit myself to Jesus, I'm going to give myself to his word and to prayer and to do the things that he wants me to do. And as soon as I do, that sin struggle that I can never seem to get under control is just going to disappear. And it's still there. Or, or maybe you, you had these dreams and you had these plans of, okay, once I commit my life to Jesus, my, my marriage or my relationships, they're all going to be perfect. Everything's going to go smoothly. And then the reality is, no, that's not the way things have gone. And maybe we're left feeling the same way of just disappointment. But friends, don't forget the in and through. Don't miss what God is doing in you before he does things through you. And so maybe today what you need to hear is you need to hear the message that the Haggai says to the people, be strong, be strong, be strong. Do not be afraid. I told you guys this week, Tiffany and I had this moment of discouragement. And my favorite passage of scripture comes from, from Galatians 6, 9. It says, do not grow weary of doing what is right and what is good. For at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. And so it was in this moment, like in this discouragement, we were just like, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust your word. I'm going to trust what you say is true. And I'm going to cling to that truth. And this is what he is, Haggai is telling the people. is like, don't be afraid. Be strong. Don't give up. And here's what's fascinating. Is this exact statement is almost identical to what Jesus says in Mark chapter 6, verse 50. I know all of you know what, remember exactly that reference from the story. I'll help you just in case you've forgotten. The disciples are, are caught in a storm. And Jesus comes walking on the water. The people are afraid. And Jesus says these powerful words. He says, take heart. It is I. Have no fear. And so here's the, here's the promise for, for Haggai. Here's the promise that Jesus is giving is, is that personal preference to the Lord or personal presence to the Lord. It gives courage. It brings determination and conviction not to quit, not to give up. So listen again, the reasons that they have to be strong. He says this, for I am with you. My spirit amains, remains among you. Here's the thing, friends. Hope is found not in what is around us, but who is among us. Hope is found not when we start looking all around and see what is around us, but hope is found when we see who is among 
us. Things, things may seem bleak. Things may seem slow. Maybe you had some plans. You had some dreams. You had some excitement of what life was going to look like, what faith was going to be like. And, and you're starting to be discouraged. And, but our hope is not found in what is going on around us, but it's a who is among us. And so we, we find our hope. And, and hope is, is this incredible picture. Because the reality is, when we look around, like, in life, there are, there are, there are things that change a lot. But hope, picture hope as this, this rock, the rock on which I stand, where everything around us is shaken. I don't know if you guys catch that. It's a song lyric we just sing. But this is what hope is. It's like when the crashing waves are all around us, when the world, when things are just shifting all around, we have our feet planted firmly on the rock, on the hope of Jesus saying, I know this will not move. I'm going to plant my feet here. And even though the storms may be blowing in, even though life may be crashing down, even though waves may be splashing all around me, I have my hope firmly planted on this because my hope is not about what's around me, but who is among me. And the, the word here is abide. So what we're talking about here is, is the Spirit, is God, abides. He is with us. He is, he is among us. And I love this picture. He says this. He says, he says, now get to work, for I am with you. And I think that's just, that's just so beautiful. Now get to work, because I am with you. Quit being discouraged. Get to work. Maybe for some of you here, you've invited that friend to church so many times. And you're, just, you're discouraged. You're tired. And God is saying, hey, don't give up. Get to work. I am with you. Maybe it's, maybe it's been a, a spouse that you've been encouraging and you've been hoping that would come to church and be part of faith and, and give their life to Jesus. And he's saying, hey, I am with you. Get to work. Don't give up. Maybe it's this, these, these kids that you've been praying for for so long who've walked away from the faith and you're just hoping and you're just praying that, that God is going to bring them back and you don't see any inkling of repentance. You don't see them coming back. But God is saying, hey, don't get discouraged. I am with you. Get to work. Do not quit in your discouragement. Do not just throw in the towel. Don't give up. Don't, don't drop, the, drop the shovel the hammer, the screwdriver, whatever else we need to build with. Don't drop that. Get to work, because I am here. Here's the thing, friends, is we are never alone in our discouragement. You may feel alone. It may seem like you're alone. But the truth is, you are not alone. That God is with us. And this is a thread that we can follow all the way through the scriptures. Is God's presence being amongst his people. If we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 or 2, we find the story of Adam. And Adam walks with who? God. Adam walks with God. Right? So God's presence is, presence is with Adam at the very beginning of scripture. Then we can go to Abraham. And God says to Abraham, hey, Abraham, go to the land that I will show you. I will be with you. Then Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, God's presence is with them. We can go to Joseph, who has this ability to interpret dreams. And we, he ends up in Egypt, and God is there. And he says, hey, I can't interpret your dream, but God can. And I know God is with me. And then we see this with Moses. God says, tell them that I am has sent you. And Moses has God's spirit with him. The people of Israel, when they exit Egypt... They are led by a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud during the day. God's presence is with them. He, God tells Joshua, 
Joshua, I will be with you as I was with Moses. Go to the next book, the book of Judges. The people of Israel are rebellious and they're horrible and they turn away from God and he raises up another judge after another judge and God is with the judges to bring the people back. Then there's King David. There's King Solomon. There's these kings where, where God's presence has been with them. Then there's constantly all of these prophets that God keeps sending that, that are speaking for God. As God is saying, hey, God is with you. Haggai being one of them. God is with you. Do you guys remember the last thing that Jesus said on earth when he, in Matthew? The last thing he says is, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit shows up. And we have this chance to have the Holy Spirit in us. So the thread throughout Scripture is, is we are never, we're never alone. Never alone in our discouragement. God, He remains. But not only does He remain, but God's going to act. Verses 6 through 8 says this. It says, For this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth, the oceans and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and the treasure of all the nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's army. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's army. The future glory... Oh, we'll stop there. Stop at verse 8, right? So, so yeah. This might be a little different. The temple may look a little different than the one in Solomon's day, but different doesn't mean, it doesn't mean worse. And so God is reminding the people, hey, it may not have the same flair, but God's glory, it's still going to be here. And for the temple to be filled with God's glory, it has nothing to do with, with material splendor. It has nothing to do with the gold and silver that is going to come. What is going to make the temple filled with glory is when God is in the temple. Because... The presence of God is always accompanied by his glory. So as long as God is going to be in that temple, it is going to be filled with glory because God is there. And as long as God is there, his glory will be there. And here's the beautiful thing. He's reminding them, hey, this may seem like it might not seem like it's full of my glory, but it will be. And the incredible thing is God does not, he's not going to leave, he's not going to leave the temple bare. He says, once again, I will shake the earth. That's literal like earthquake. And in this day, an earthquake was, was to be considered, it was thought about this divine intervention of God. So this is the, this is the word picture, is God is going to shake loose some things. He's going to shake loose some material possessions, and the temple is going to get filled out with some things. If we follow the biblical story, one of the, one of the shakings, that, one of the things God shakes is, is the, the Persian Empire. King Darius sends people, sends money to start trying to, to work in these temple. Alexander the Great. Like we start to see like this temple, the stuff gets poured into these incredible things that begin to happen. And, and I love this phrase in verse six. He says, in just a little while, I will again. Here's the promise. If God has done it before, he can, he can do it again. And I think this is a really important thing for us as I will again. This is an invitation to greater trust. This is an invitation to, to deeper belief. He said, hey, I've done this before. And we reference again in verse 5, the Exodus story is when God has done these things. He's saying, I will again. And he's telling the people, I will renew. I will redeem. I will restore this temple. Because that's what God does, isn't it? 
And God renews. God redeems. And he restores. And it's not just the temple that he does that for. It's for our lives. It's for families. It's for marriages. It's hopes and dreams and and plans and missions and passions that God can renew. He can redeem. He can restore those things if we allow him to do so. And God is saying to the people, I will again fill this temple. I will work. I will do these things because this is what God is in the business of doing. Haggai is reminding the people, if God is involved... If God is present, his glory is going to be present. And you're never going to be alone. And we can trust God here because he will again. And here's the fact. This is the last part. Verse 9. I love it. It says, hey, my my glory will, will be in this temple. But he doesn't just say my glory will be here, my lesser glory. No, he says that a greater glory is going to be in this temple. Look at verse verse 9. Haggai says, the future glory of this temple will be even greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. In this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. Don't miss the message that he's telling the people. Is don't miss the new thing God is doing while longing for the old thing that he did. He's saying, hey, don't, don't get discouraged. Sure, this temple, it may be different, But don't miss this this greater glory. Don't miss this new thing that is going to happen. The way that I am going to work in you and through you, longing for for the way things were. So the greatest sense of discouragement for these people is they're looking back at this temple of what it was before they went to exile. And now they see it as this this laying in ruins. The reality is what was going to make the temple greater wasn't the construction It wasn't the work that they were going to be doing. It wasn't the beauty or the building. What was going to make that temple greater? Well, 500 years later, somebody was going to be in that temple. And Jesus was going to to be in that temple. It was going to be an incredible thing. And and so what we begin to see is if we look at at John chapter 9, or John chapter, chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus himself refers to himself as a temple. So let's, let's flip there. John 2, chapter nine, or verse 19 through uh, verse 20, 21. Jesus says, all right, destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise it up. What? They exclaimed. It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. So there's going to be a greater, greater temple. And the glory is going to be, is going to be greater. And because of, because of Jesus, because of his resurrection, because of his death, something pretty powerful happened in the temple. The, the curtain that, that separated the, the most holy place, the people from God, it tore in two. Because now access to God is available to everyone. Because of Jesus, his glory is, is everywhere. Because of Jesus now, there is, is, he, he dwells among us. Not only is the, is the temple a place to go, like we are as temples, and we begin to see this beautiful picture. And do you guys remember one of the names of Jesus? We'll probably talk about it. And, and come Christmas time, he will be called Prince of what? Peace. Prince of Peace. And, God, and Haggai tells this message from God, I will bring my peace. The, the Hebrew word there is Shalom. It's, it's being right with 
with the world, right with God, right with people, right with, right with ourselves. And this is what we find through Jesus, the greater temple, is we find that, that we have been made, we've been made right, that our relationships that got off track with, with other people, they can be made right, that our relationships with God that has been off track, they can be made right, our relationships with ourselves, they can be made right, because this greater glory, this greater temple has, has come, and, and it's Jesus. Jesus is the greater temple. Jesus is He is the one who brings peace. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for how good you are to us. And Lord, I I don't know the story, what's going on with everyone in this room. But Lord, we live in a fallen world where discouragement and difficulty and, and pain can rule and reign. And so, Lord, I just pray that we don't let our hearts be troubled. Lord, I pray that we, we take this, this message to be strong, to not give up. Lord, that we, were, we know that you, that you are with us. Lord, at, 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 at Advent, at your birth, you, you saw that God is with us. At Easter, you saw that we, you were for us. And at Pentecost, that you're in us, God, and we're just grateful And Lord, we thank you for the way that that you bring full shalom, that you bring real and lasting peace. So God, that's what we pray for. That's what we ask for. Lord, is that our lives will will be be full of those things. Lord, I just pray that maybe there's someone in this room right now who hasn't accepted you as their Lord. They haven't been been a follower of yours. They haven't been baptized and accept the gift of the Holy Spirit and forgiveness of sins. And Lord, I just pray that that today is the day. And Lord, I pray that all of us, Lord, that we will will get to work, that we'll do the things that you have called us to do, even if we are discouraged, even if we are, are downcast, even if we are overwhelmed. God, that we can find ourselves in in you, knowing that you are among us and that you are with us. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.